Today on the Matt Wall Show, the big tech giants are waging an all-out war to suppress damaging stories about Joe Biden right before the election. We're facing a very dangerous moment. And though conservatives like myself don't like to think in these terms, it is time for the government to step in. It's long been time, in fact. We'll talk about that. Also, five headlines, including more faux controversies coming out of the Amy Coney Barrett hearings. Those are always fun. And in our daily cancellation, it's finally time for me to cancel Barbie. That's a very important segment of the show. We'll get to that soon. But first, maybe less important uh, news than Barbie, but still, two major stories happening here. The first is the series of alleged revelations stemming from, according to New York Post reports, a trove of documents, emails, videos, and other files which were recovered from a laptop, dropped off, but never picked up, from a computer repair store in Delaware. Here's the New York Post uh, reading now. The the computer was dropped off at a repair shop in Biden's home state of Delaware in April 2019, according to the store's owner. The customer who who brought in the water-damaged MacBook Pro for repair never paid for the service or retrieved it or a a hard drive on which its contents were stored, according to the shop owner, who said he tried to repeatedly to contact the client. The shop owner couldn't positively identify the customer as Hunter Biden, but said the laptop bore a sticker from the Bo Biden Foundation named after Hunter's late brother and former Delaware Attorney General. Photos of a Delaware federal subpoena given to the Post show that both the computer and the hard drive were seized by the FBI in December, after the shop's owner says he alerted the feds to their existence. But before turning over the gear, the shop owner says he made a copy of the hard drive and later gave it to former Mayor Rudy Giuliani's lawyer, Robert Costello. Steve Bannon, former advisor to President Trump, told the Post about the existence of the hard drive in late September, and Giuliani provided the, the Post with the copy of it on Sunday. Okay, so that's, that's the Post report on how the information came to light. As for the information itself, uh, I'll read a little bit of that to you. I can't post this stuff on Twitter or Facebook, but I can read it to you at least, so I'll give you some of it. Um, this in an article titled, Smoking Gun Email Reveals How Hunter Biden Introduced Ukrainian Businessman to VP Dad. In this article, we're told, quote, Hunter Biden introduced his father, then Vice President Joe Biden, to a top executive at a Ukrainian energy firm less than a year before the elder Biden pressured government officials uh, in Ukraine into firing a prosecutor who was investigating the company, according to emails obtained by the Post. The never-before-revealed meeting is uh, mentioned in a message of appreciation that Vadim Pozarsky, an advisor to the board of Burisma, allegedly sent Hunter Biden on April 17th, 2015 about a year after Hunter joined the Burisma board at a reported salary of up to $50,000 a month. Pretty nice deal if you can get it. Says, Dear Hunter, thank you for inviting me to D.C. and giving an opportunity to meet your father and spend some time together. It's really an honor and pleasure, the email reads. An earlier email from May 2014 also shows Pozarski, reportedly uh, Burisma's number three executive, asking Hunter for advice on how you could use your influence on the company's behalf. The blockbuster correspondence, which flies in the face of Joe Biden's claim that he's never spoken to his son about his overseas business dealings, which never made sense anyway, by the way. I mean, just in general, you're a dad, you never talk to your son about what he's doing in his business, doesn't make sense. Anyway, back to the report, it says, uh, this is all contained in a massive trove of data recovered from a laptop computer. Okay, now another article from the New York Post has this headline. Emails reveal how Hunter Biden tried to cash in big on behalf of family with Chinese firm. The report reads, Hunter Biden pursued lucrative deals involving China's largest private energy company, including one that he said would be interesting for me and my family, emails obtained by the Post show. One email sent to Biden on May 13th, 2017 with the subject line, expectations, included details of 
remuneration packages for six people involved in an unspecified business venture. Biden was identified as chair slash vice chair, depending on agreement with CEFC, an apparent reference to the former Shanghai-based conglomerate CEFC China Energy Company. His pay was was pegged at $850, and the email also noted that Hunter has some office expectations that he will elaborate. In addition, the email outlined a provisional agreement under which 80% of the equity or shares in the new company would be split equally among four people whose initials correspond to the sender and three recipients, with H apparently referring to Biden. The the deal also mentions uh, or or lists 10 Jim and 10 held by H for the big guy. Neither Jim nor the big guy was identified. All right. Now, there's a lot more to these stories, and I'd suggest going to the New York Post website, reading it for yourself. Uh, There are other alleged revelations, too. Lots of stuff about Hunter, you know, allegedly um, doing drugs and cavorting with hookers and so on. I don't really care about any of that. I do care, and everybody should care, about Hunter leveraging his connections to the vice president and getting involved with China and all of the things that point to real corruption. That matters. And what matters perhaps even more than that has been, of course, the response from big tech. Because as the cliche goes, you know, the cover-up is worse than the crime. And that holds here... That holds true here, too, I think. As you've probably heard by now, Twitter and Facebook together have been working overtime to suppress and censor the New York Post reporting about this scandal. And they have punished, suspended, uh, flagged people who who share the stories. And that includes not just random accounts, politicians, reporters, officials, prominent people, all being targeted by the big social media giants for trying to alert the public to this story. The White House press secretary was the latest this, this, this morning to be locked out of her Twitter account for posting the article. Twitter actually disabled the link to the story so that you couldn't read it or share it. I've never seen that before. Facebook announced uh, right away through its spokesman that it would be reducing access to the story. So this has been an all-out, full-court press to suppress credible reporting from a major news publication three weeks out from an election. This is a direct effort by these billion-dollar companies to influence the election. There's no other way to look at it. Now, Jack uh, Jack Dorsey, Twitter's CEO, said last night that Twitter's handling of the situation has been not great, quote unquote. But they continue doing it. They're still doing it today. The reasons were given by Twitter and Facebook is that the story is, for one thing, they say, misinformation. Andy Stone, Facebook spokesman, said, um, this is part of our standard process to reduce the spread of misinformation. We temporarily reduce distribution pending fact-checker review. Standard process, right. Also, we're told that the story violates alleged policies against publishing hacked material and publishing material obtained without consent. The Twitter safety account tweeted, um, quote, the policy established in 2018 prohibits the use of our service to distribute content obtained without authorization. We don't want to incentivize hacking by allowing Twitter to be used as distribution for possibly illegally obtained materials. Now, notice something. Okay, the story is suppressed based both on being misinformation and being hacked material. Well, how can it be both? If Hunter's computer was hacked, then it's not misinformation, it's real. But if the story's made up, then it's not hacked material. In reality, of course, it appears that it's neither hacked nor misinformation. It appears the emails are real. Um, That's what it appears anyway. And they were on a computer that allegedly was abandoned. So that's not hacking. But my point is that it can't be both misinformation and hacked. What, what is it? Hacked misinformation? So let's look, at, let's, let's look at these excuses one at a time, though. Misinformation. Again, 
No reason to think that this is misinformation. But regardless, do Facebook and Twitter have a consistent policy and record of suppressing misinformation or claims that are dubiously sourced? Of course not. Not even close. Not remotely. Dozens of examples come immediately to mind. Like, for example, every anonymously sourced Trump story we've ever seen. Every week, there's another claim from some anonymous person alleging this or that about Donald Trump. People in the White House go on the record denying it. Are those reports ever censored, banned, taken down, flagged as harmful? No. But here's an even better example. Every time there's a police shooting, immediately wild claims are made based on no evidence or in direct contradiction of the evidence. This goes all the way back to the debunked hands up, don't shoot stuff up to, and all the way up to now. Every time there's a shooting, social media is used to advance the claim that the cop is a racist serial killer out hunting black men. There's never any evidence of this. It is always, always misinformation. And the direct consequence of the misinformation can be seen in the form of smoldering buildings and dead people. Twitter and Facebook have never flagged any of that, never suppressed it. What about distributing content obtained without, without authorization? Again, dozens of examples spring immediately to mind. How about Trump's tax returns? How about secret audio recordings of Melania Trump? Those were not only posted to Twitter, to Twitter but trended proudly for days. There was no news value to them. None. It was, a, it was an invasion of privacy and released solely to embarrass the first lady. That's the only reason. Twitter made no attempt at all to restrict access to it. Quite the opposite, in fact. And besides... Plenty of legitimate reporting involves content obtained without authorization. By this standard, nearly every major political news story over the last 50 years wouldn't be allowed on the platform. When's the last time a politician explicitly consented to the publication of material that would damage him politically? So this standard is nonsensical and applied unevenly. Very unevenly, to put it mildly. Speaking of unevenly today, guess what was trending on Twitter? While the Hunter Biden story is shut down, one of the top trends was hashtag Eric Trump's Ukraine scandal. Eric Trump's Ukraine scandal. That's insane. It's flat out election interference. Flat out. Listen, I believe in private property rights, but I also believe that billion dollar corporations that control the flow of information should not be allowed to employ fraud and subterfuge in order to influence the outcome of elections. That's where I stand. And I note that many of the people preaching about the rights of Twitter also have spent the last eight years telling us that small town bakeries who don't want to make custom wedding cakes for gay weddings are waging a, a dangerous assault on freedom and democracy. No, that's exactly the other way around. There is zero danger to the public. Zero danger if your local baker doesn't want to put figurines of two dudes on top of a wedding cake. You can do it yourself. It causes no harm to anyone. It is completely irrelevant. The only thing it hurts, maybe, is your fragile feelings. But Twitter and Facebook are multi-billion dollar companies. They are not bakeries. This is much more in line with, you know, your phone company cutting off service because it doesn't like the political opinions you express while on the phone. It, it, it is that sort of danger, only worse, much worse, because people these days um, do a lot more communicating on social media than they do through telephone calls. And that's why it's time for conservatives like myself to get over our visceral disgust at the idea of government involvement in anything. Um, and we have to just get over that. There is no free market solution to this problem. There isn't. Unless you have $100 billion to throw around, you aren't going to go out and make your own Facebook. It's just not going to happen. It can't happen. 
So we have to decide whether we want to live in a world where big tech giants run society and decide elections, or if measures should be taken to regulate them and hold them to a basic standard of honesty and fairness. That is the question we face. Let's get to our five headlines. Well, you know, nobody likes spending hours at the uh, at the at the auto body shop every every you know every time you have a problem with your car. You got to go. You got to get in your car, drive over there, and what happens? You get there, and they don't have what you need anyway. RockAuto.com is so much easier. So much easier than walking into a store, asking you know, dealing with all the questions they ask and everything else. And they're not going to have what you want. They got They're going to have to order it online anyway. Why not cut out the middleman? Go to RockAuto.com. You carry it around in your pocket. You've got it at your desk on your laptop. Just go there. RockAuto.com always offers the lowest prices possible. They're not going to change their prices. They're not going to try to you know milk you for all you're worth. Um, they're going to give you the lowest the lowest possible price. If you're getting it on RockAuto.com, you can be confident that it's the best price. This is the best you're going to get. RockAuto.com is a family business. They've been serving auto parts customers online for 20 years. Go to rockauto.com to shop for auto and body parts from hundreds of manufacturers. Best of all, again, prices at rockauto.com, reliably low, and the same for professionals and do-it-yourselfers. You don't have to spend twice as much for the same parts. Don't spend twice as much for the same parts or twice as much for you know a, a, a worse selection of parts. Anyway, go to rockauto.com right now. See all the parts available for your car or truck and write Walsh in their How Did You Hear About Us box so they know that we sent you. Okay. Number one, early voting is underway, and um, record turnouts are being reported. Here's a story from the News Times. It says, with less than three weeks to go before the November 3rd election, more than 14 million Americans have voted in the fall election, reflecting an extraordinary level of participation, um, despite barriers being erected by the coronavirus pandemic. In Georgia this week, voters waited as long as 11 hours to cast their ballots on the first day of early voting. In North Carolina, nearly one in five of roughly 500,000 who have returned mail ballots, did not vote in the last presidential election. In Michigan, um, more than a million people have already voted. And then it goes on to say much of the early voting seems to be driven by enthusiasm among Democrats. So, you know, you could believe that or not, take it with a grain of salt. I know a lot of my my listeners maybe don't want to hear this, but there does appear to be a lot of enthusiasm among voters who hate Trump and want him gone. This, this is what I expected. I expected a massive anti-Trump turnout. That's going to happen. It didn't happen in 2016. There was not a massive anti-Trump turnout. And I think, I think part of the reason for that is that everyone thought he'd lose anyway. And um, also because Hillary Clinton was so just unappealing as a, as a human being. You might say Biden is unappealing too, but it's, it's not to the level of Hillary. Nobody is at the level of Hillary Clinton, Clinton when it comes to, be vis, comes to being viscerally unappealing, right? So um, that's the way things are trending. The good news is that the election isn't over yet. There are still three weeks to go. But as I've been saying for a long time now, Trump needs to do something, make some kind of pitch, have some kind of strategy to mobilize other than just the MAGA crowd. Yeah, you need the MAGA crowd. You've already got them. That's good. You're going to need more than that. There aren't enough people who wear MAGA hats to win the election. You cannot, you cannot, that's your base, that's your core of supporters, great. You need more than that. Um, he needs to reach the sorts of people who don't love him personally, maybe don't even like him personally, but also don't like the Democrats, and right now are trying to decide, and I, and I could be wrong, this is just my, my guess. My guess is that 
there are a lot of people right now who are undecided only because, not because they're trying to choose between Trump and Biden, they're trying to choose between voting for Trump or not voting at all. And so Trump needs to have some sort of a strategy for mobilizing and reaching out to those voters who are on the fence right now between not voting at all at all or voting for him. He has to give them a reason to vote for him. He needs to make those voters feel better about voting for him. He needs to do something. And his, norm, his normal routine with the rallies and the tweeting and everything, that's not going to be enough. And so I, I am worried about this. I'm worried that three weeks from the election, I have no idea what the Trump campaign strategy is other than just do all the same stuff he always does. That's not a campaign strategy. That, again, that's a, that's a campaign strategy for the people who are already excited about you. I don't know what his strategy is for the, for the other million, that, that, that whole pool of millions of people who are, who are gettable. You can get them, but they're not going to come to a rally because they're not that excited. What is his strategy for those? Do, do you know? Does anyone know? It doesn't seem like there is one. And that, that worries me. Um, I know Trump kind of ad-libbed, ad-libbed his way to, to, to the win in 2016. Very impressive. I, I don't think we should assume it's going to happen a second time. Conditions are very different. So I'm concerned about that. Number two. During day three of the hearing yesterday, uh, Wednesday, there was a moment from Amy Coney Barrett that if she were a liberal, it's only one, I'll play this for you because if she were a liberal, this moment would already be, be turned into merchandise and, and T-shirts and bumper stickers and everything else. Uh, here it is. Listen to this. To be clear, as I said, I think in response to this question yesterday, I do share Justice Scalia's approach to text, originalism and textualism. But in the litany of cases that you've just identified, the particular votes that he's, he cast are a different question of whether I would agree with the way that he applied those principles in particular cases. And I've already said, you know, and, and I hope that you aren't suggesting that I don't have my own mind or that I, I couldn't think independently or that I would just decide, like, oh, let me see what Justice Scalia has said about this in the past, because I assure you I have my own mind. Um, but. It, Everything that he said um, is not necessarily what I would agree with or what I would do if I were Justice Barrett. That was Justice Scalia. So I share his philosophy, but I've never said that I would always reach the same outcome as he did. I assure you I have my own mind, she says. That was a good moment from Barrett. I'm not saying that I think it was some kind of epic smackdown of some sort but uh, or, or any kind of uh, empowering feminist anthem. I'm saying that in our vapid culture, if Barrett was liberal, that's how it would be seen. I mean, during the, the, the vice presidential debate, Kamala Harris said, um, I'm speaking. And feminists turned that into, you know, the most brilliant comeback in, in the history of debates. They turned it into a shirt, like right away. You see the shirt here. Um, so that's the way that goes. Meanwhile, another moment from the hearings. Uh, this one was uh, also seized upon by the left um, in an incredibly dishonest way. I know that won't surprise you, but first watch, watch this. Do you think Brown versus Board of Education super precedent is that you're not aware of any effort to go back to the good old days of segregation by a legislative body? Is that correct? That is correct. Okay, so what's the news there? Not immediately obvious to a normal person. You see that and you think, okay, what's, what's the problem? Well, they're making a big deal out of the fact that Lindsey Graham said good old days of segregation. Obviously, sarcastically, in the same vein that somebody might say 
uh, when they're told they need a root canal by the dentist, they might say, oh, great. Does anyone, you hear that, do you think, oh, that person must love root canals? Um, or, you know, if someone says, oh, just what I, they, you run into traffic and you say, just what I need. The way the left is responding to what Lindsey Graham, I guess if they were in the car with you, they would think, why do you need traffic? What are you, ta- what are you talking about? Doesn't compute. Um, so here's Jamie Harrison, Graham's opponent in South Carolina. He said, Lindsey Graham just called segregation the good old days. The good old days for who, Senator? It's 2020, not 1920. Act like it. And then there were articles like this in Mediaite. Um, it says, Senator Lindsey Graham raised eyebrows during his questioning of Judge Amy Coney Barrett when he asked the Supreme Court nominee how much confidence she has in the landmark Brown versus Board of Education. Um, uh, how much confidence she has in... I don't know. This is phrased... Anyway, if she was asked if this was a super precedent, Brown versus Board of Education... Uh, anyway, it says, curiously, however, Senator Graham, who finds himself in a hotly contested re-election, also asked um, if it's the, it also referred to the good old days of segregation. The article says, wait, what? Good old days of segregation? I mean, he could have been joking, despite the lack of any facial cue or body language suggesting sarcastic hyperbole. However, Senator Graham got a lot of attention during a recent debate with his political foe, Jamie Harrison, when he said that young black people and immigrants could go anywhere in South Carolina, but added, you just need to be conservative. Um, and then it goes on from there. Just I, to, call this, to call this merely bad faith would be a massive understatement. Yeah, I'm sure you're really confused about this, aren't you? Well, I don't know. Was he serious or not? I have no idea. M- maybe he was really openly and publicly reminiscing in a favorable way about segregation. While on TV in a Supreme Court hearing d- during an election... He could have been. Who knows? Um, okay, let's see here. There was one other thing. One other thing I wanted to mention from the hearings that I, I didn't get a chance to yet. This article from CNN, uh, headline is, Amy Coney Barrett says she owns a gun, but could fairly judge a case on gun rights. Obvious implication is she can't. If you own, if you, if you own a gun, how can you be fair in judging a case on gun rights? All I'm going to say in response to this is imagine during the Sonia Sotomayor confirmation in 2009, imagine the following headline. Sonia Sotomayor says she's a woman, but could fairly judge a case on women's rights. Something something tells me, I I, I sort of doubt that we would have ever seen that headline. I don't think we did. I could go back and check. Uh, Number three, scary stuff here. Tommy Lee, former rock star, speaking with the big issue, uh, has said that he might leave the country if Trump is reelected. Here he is. He says, dude, I swear to God, if that happens, that I'm coming over to visit the UK, I'm out of here. I'll go back to my motherland, go back to Greece and get a house on one of the islands. And then he goes on from there talking about how bad Trump is. Um, To me, the big headline here is that Tommy Lee is still alive. I I honestly thought that he died years ago. I'm not not trying to be funny. I really thought that. So congratulations to Tommy Lee, first of all, on not being dead. As far as him leaving the country, well, now that I know he's still alive, you know, I couldn't bear to lose him again. I can't lose him twice. In fact, I'll probably vote for Biden just to keep Tommy Lee here. I'm, I am now a single issue voter. And my issue is making sure Tommy Lee does not leave us. Because I, I don't want to live in a country like that. I don't know about you. Number four, um, here is a... It, it's, always, it's always tough when you take a politician like Kamala Harris and you try to make her seem human. 
And uh, But Rachel Maddow, MSNBC, they did what they could to get a, a human moment out of Kamala Harris. And here's how that went. I just realized that I would kick myself if I didn't just ask you uh, before I let you go. If you noticed the fly on Vice President Pence's head at the time during the debate, <laughs> oh, Rachel. The debate or if that was something that only go, go, we could see it at home. Could you see it sitting next to him? Did did you have feelings about like did you have the instinct to <laughs> You know Rachel I just you know I think that it's important that we kind of um find a way all of us to move on and you know kind of fly away from this subject onto something else. Yeah. <laughs> Senator Harris, you are very kind. And let's just spare a thought right now for the people who have to write closed captions for this portion of the interview uh, and for those who have to transcribe it because they're going to have no idea how to convey what we just communicated. That just, it makes my skin crawl, doesn't it? it, it it's, it's, al- it's almost as bad as Hillary Clinton trying to pretend to be, to be you know, not a robot. Um, that's that's tough to watch, tough to get through. Okay, number five, my producer sent me this story. I haven't read it ahead of time. I never read this stuff ahead of time, if you can't tell. Um, but here's the story from the Bristol Post. It seems promising. Headline is, man who farted in Uber ends up in court. Uh, and then says, let's see, breaking breaking wind in the back of an Uber taxi cost a man a suspended jail term. But the repercussion for the taxi driver was that he, is, he has to return to his native Bulgaria. Drunken James Mallet let rip as Alexander Bonchev was driving him to Chaser's nightclub in Kingswood. Bristol Crown Court heard it was the final straw for the cabbie, who after suffering abuse, abuse from other fares, told Mallet to get out of the vehicle. Because, you know, he farted, so get out of the vehicle. Um, and at that point, Mallet began hitting the driver, and uh, so then there was a fight. Okay, so he's... So he's not going to jail for farting in the Uber. He's going to jail for, first he farts in the Uber, it sounds like, and then he beats up, starts beating up the Uber driver. Um, insult to injury there. And, he's, and, and so that's, that's what, what gets him prosecuted. So I was hoping, listen, I would, I would be fully in favor of a law that penalizes people for flatulence in certain scenarios. I think in an Uber, you know, is, is one big one on a plane. I've, I have in the past shared my own experience. We've all had experiences like this, sitting next to someone with chronic flatulence. Um, it, it is, it is, it's, it's biological warfare. It, you, you shouldn't allow biological terrorism, especially on a plane. And so I'd be in favor of prosecution in, in circumstances like that. It sounds like that's not what happened here, but it gives us something to aspire to in any way. Um, all right, we're going to get to our daily cancellation in just one second. But first, you know, Small businesses have really been taking a beating since March with all the lockdowns and everything. And uh, if you're a business owner, I don't have to tell you. You're feeling the effect. You, you know how it is. So that's why we're excited to tell you that next Wednesday, the Daily Wire God King himself, Jeremy Boring, is going to be presenting alongside a team of world-renowned business leaders at Expert Ownership Live, a two-day virtual conference about leading through crisis. Now's the time for that. The conference features a lineup of speakers like leadership author John Maxwell, uh, the Benham Brothers, many others, the founders of Duck Commander and Otterbox. 
All of them going to be there and they'll share their stories about their businesses and startup journeys, tough times. And more importantly, they're going to tell you how they have navigated the trials and tribulations of being a business owner and uh, come out stronger on the other side. This conference is one of the kinds of investments that that is really worth it if you're a business owner. So visit expertownershiplive.com slash walls to register for $197. Buy a second ticket for a friend for 50% off. You don't want to miss this lineup. You don't want to miss this event. Don't want to miss uh, the God King Jeremy Boring. Again, that's expertownershiplive.com slash Walsh. Buy one ticket for $197. Get one 50% off. That's expertownershiplive.com slash Walsh. Okay, daily cancellation. Today for our daily cancellation, something that was sent to me by one of my Daily Wire colleagues who said that uh, they thought it would be good fodder for the daily cancellation, and, and he was right. Uh, it is my pleasure today to cancel Barbie. I've been waiting for an excuse to do that, and here it is. Um, what I'm about to play for you, this is a vlog from Barbie's Instagram account. Yes, the plastic toy has a vlog and an Instagram account. And by the way, if you're wondering, Barbie has 1.8 million followers on Instagram. 1.8 million people decided that they needed to keep up to date about what a plastic toy is thinking and doing. So just more evidence that everybody on Instagram should lose their right to vote. That's my opinion. And TikTok too. Um, Okay, so here's the, the Barbie vlog. Description says, on today's vlog, Nikki talks to Barbie about racism and some of the ways that she's been treated unfairly because of the color of her skin. Having conversations like this is one of the first steps in addressing and combating a systemic problem. Together, let's keep listening, keep learning, and take action to inspire change. Obviously, we're in for a treat here, um, so let's, let's listen to what Barbie and Nikki have to say. Barbie and I had a sticker selling contest on the beach last month. We split up and went different directions to see who could sell the most. Well, while I was on the boardwalk, Beach security stopped me three times. What? They asked me all these questions over and over, and they even called my mom. <gasps> I never told you, but that's why I sold a few stickers that day. Okay, first of all, um, uh, a sticker selling contest on the beach? That's the most random collection of things. You know, it's like its like I said, if, if I said I was having a celery eating contest in the woods. Like, why that? And, and why there? To each their own, I guess, but, but what a weird thing to do with your time. And, and who is on the beach looking to buy stickers anyway? It, if you only sold a few stickers, it's because every person you approached probably thought to themselves, what? Why would I want to buy a sticker? Who sells stickers? I get a free sticker at the dentist or the bank. And even if I was going to buy one, why would I buy it here? Where am I going to put it? I'm about to jump into the ocean. You want me to buy a sticker? You might as well be selling toasters on the beach. It doesn't make any sense. It's, it's, it's the last thing I'm looking to buy in this environment. Um, listen, if I was working beach security and I, I saw a couple of weirdos selling stickers, I'd stop them too because I'd figure there's something else going on here. So I'm not buying this racism claim from Barbie's friend. I just, I'm not buying it. I'm sorry. It's a hoax. Uh, let's see what else she's got. And remember when we were going to join that French honor club at school? Mm-hmm. Well, I made a perfect score on the entrance test. But when the teacher, who didn't know me at all, gave me my results, he told me I only did well because I got lucky. He said he knew I couldn't speak French that well. What? You speak French better than all of us. Why didn't you just stay in the club and prove him wrong? I don't want to have to constantly prove and reprove myself. Yeah, I'm starting to get narcissism and, and, and entitlement vibes here, frankly, which is what I'd expect from Barbie's crew. Spoiled brats, a lot of them. Uh, and uh, okay, let, let's get to, the, let's get to the, big, the big conclusion. People did these things to me because I was black and they made the wrong assumptions about me. And they don't make those assumptions about white people like me. And that's not fair because 
That means that white people get an advantage that they didn't earn and black people get a disadvantage that they don't deserve. Exactly. It's really serious. Some people even get hurt when others think the wrong things about them. That's exactly why people are marching. Because when enough of us stand together, people pay attention. Right. Because when we don't say anything, we're just letting it continue. Yes, a really serious problem, she says, but the only example she can give are the times she only sold a few stickers on the beach and problems in the French club at school. You got to come with more evidence than that, Barbie or Nikki, whatever, whatever the names are. Now, you might say that I am the one who should be canceled because I'm spending my time on this show and your time debunking racism claims made by a cartoon character. And you'd have a point. Which is why maybe I'll get away from dissecting the specifics of these claims uh, and instead ask you to reflect on the fact that even your child's toy is, is repeating Black Lives Matter propaganda. We're getting stuff about systemic racism and white privilege from a children's toy. Pretty soon we're going to be at a point where you walk through the toy aisle at Target and press a button on a teddy bear's foot where it says, try me, and the bear delivers a monologue about the dangers of heteronormativity and cisgendered privilege. And, you know, of course, we, we can make jokes about it, and, and, and uh, we can always say, well, it's just Barbie, who cares? Which, fair point, but this is one very small symptom and example of a larger cultural reality, which is that radical left ideas have seeped into every nook and cranny of society. In the leftist mind, everything, I mean everything, every last thing, is a tool to convert the heathen masses. And uh, that only means that I have to keep canceling more and more things. It's a war of attrition at this point. And Barbie is the latest casualty. And that's it for me today. Um, by the way, before we wrap up, I want to say, uh, make sure to hit subscribe while you're here. If you're watching this on YouTube, hit the subscribe, smash the like button. I have to start saying stuff like this now. I have no choice. Um, don't judge me, but please do that. And, uh, I'll talk to you tomorrow. Have a great day. Godspeed. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to help spread the word, please give us a five-star review. Tell your friends to subscribe as well. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts, we're there. Also, be sure to check out the other Daily Wire podcasts, including the Ben Shapiro Show, Michael Knowles Show, and the Andrew Clavin Show. Thanks for listening. The Matt Wall Show is produced by Sean Hampton, executive producer Jeremy Boring. Our supervising producers are Mathis Glover and Robert Sterling. Our technical producer is Austin Stevens, edited by Danny D'Amico, and our audio is mixed by Robin Fenderson. The Matt Wall Show is a Daily Wire production, copyright Daily Wire 2020. Facebook and Twitter suppress evidence of Joe Biden's corruption, conservatives call to break up big tech, and Democrat politicians keep up the sexual creepiness with Amy Coney Barrett. Check it out on The Michael Knowles Show.